right, we are back again, and this time we have part two of our conversation with Stacy and Roger. So if you haven't already, please make sure to go give episode one a listen. We talked a lot about urban versus reservation Indians, and also some of the perceptions that come along with that. So without further ado, here we go. Like one thing too that I've, if you've heard someone that's from the reservation speaking English, they have this, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Talk like this. Like there's always this up question, the, the, the tone goes up. And, it's a sing song. <laughs> yeah, we we will joke with one another when we're talking like, oh, hey, look at that person over there. And it's interesting how that dialect, I don't know how it was born back there, but, you know, a lot of. A lot of people from uh, reservations in general will have that that tone to their voice. And so it's always kind of, we always kind of smile when we hear someone speaking like, yep, they're from the rest. <laughs> and it's funny because it's urban too. If, uh, if you're born and raised out here, uh, you probably don't have it. But if you came from the rest and you came urban, like especially like a lot of the natives back in the relocation period, they probably carried it back. So when they came up, you might hear them talk and I'll do my best <laughs> to talk away. So, um, you know, I came back from back there and I'm up here in Seattle now and my family's here too. And we came up here. And so it's, 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 it's a good place. I like it. And I met other natives around here and it's, uh, it's, it's good. I like it. I, I miss my family back home, but you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's going to be an adventure up here and I'm really, really enjoying it. So as you notice, when I talked, it was kind of a sing song to my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like what we call the Renz accent, jokingly and very tongue in cheek. Yeah, when, once you hear that somewhere, like, oh, where are they from? You wanna, you wanna go? Oh, who's, who's that? I remember one time at Target years ago, uh, Stacey and I were at Target. I think it was, what was it West Seattle? Yeah, West friend. Seattle. I heard, I heard voices, and I also heard that sing song. Oh, there's another native here. So I kind of woke him over there and started hearing them talk. And sure enough, yeah, it was. I don't know where they're from because it was Christmas and everything. But I remember hearing that. Like, oh yeah, they're 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 from. From somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. And actually, it's kind of funny. In one of my interviews I did, um, going back to what you said about the stories and also the the tone, um, I actually had one of the guests sort of telling like an oral tradition story. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting because I felt like I could just like kind of sit back and just relax and just listen to them telling the story. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with you because I was like, wow, like this is honestly so authentic and honestly the way stories should be told um, because yeah, it's just like very natural. It flows and it's, it's not like you're trying to rush it. I I experienced that too. So, I mean, honestly, it's been really interesting for me to connect with that sort of aspect too. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Hey, Nisha, I have a question for you. How do your elders tell stories in India? They do kind of the same way, or is there a different way? Yeah, actually, I would say it's pretty similar. Um, in, in my culture, um, especially when I talk to like my grandparents, um, a lot of the stories they tell are usually about like kings and queens and also about like ancient India. Um, we have a lot of like mythology. So sometimes it's based around like our religion. Um, like for example, we have like great epics like Mahabharata uh, and also Ramayana. So those are like stories of 
um, how like God's basically like saved the kingdoms and the people. Um, it's definitely really similar actually in terms of like oral tradition. Uh, yeah, in India, like when I visited my village, um, people just sit outside at night for like hours. They'll just be laughing and talking and sharing stories. Um, it's really similar in the sense that like it's not rushed and we're just trying to like connect with people mm-hmm. yeah and that's again why I'm really thankful I can like speak Hindi because when I was younger I have so many fond memories of just like staying up late with my grandparents and they're just telling me like stories of like our gods like Rama Krishna um, yeah it's really interesting um, to hear that directly from the generation that's really celebrated that and sometimes I wish that our generation would connect with that more yeah yeah there is uh, a law you know you don't want that art to be lost that history and that knowledge because it's it's a connection I envy people who know their language that they I think it's you know rightfully so you just it is you know you, you might take it for granted because it's day in and day out but I just when I hear people speaking either uh, Spanish or Russian or uh, Hindi, I'm like, gosh, you don't know how lucky you are that you can communicate uh, in in a language that's of you. Mm-hmm. My cousin is, uh, they offered a Blackfeet language class online and my cousin was taking it. And she wrote to us and she says, cousins, I'm actually dreaming in Blackfeet. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, she would send notes in Blackfeet to us and then translate what it means. So it was pretty, it's really neat that the, the language is still there and yeah. the good and the bad of technology that is able to be shared and, and recorded. So, you know, it's easier now than it would have been to say, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you'd have to travel back home to go spend time with somebody to learn it. Mm-hmm. So what are sort of some of like the barriers to learning Blackfeet? Is it like, there's just not a lot of people who speak it? Yeah, mostly in the US. Now the the, the uh, blood reserve and uh, there's another there's, part of a- There's a- we're, we're just actually four tribes of us, the Blackfeet, call us the Blackfeet, I guess, for lack of a better description, through a Western lens, Confederation. There's four tribes that were the Blackfeet uh, in Montana. Uh, we call it the Southern Blackfeet. Uh, so Scott Pipicani's our actual name, Blackfeet. Southern, uh, then we have three tribes up in Alberta, the Bloods, the Sixacon, the Blackfoot, and they're uh, up through uh, Alberta. And so up there, like Stacey was uh, uh, talking about, they have done a really good job of really preserving the language up there. The dialect is slightly different, but not very much. Um, Down here uh, on our reservation, there is a resurgence of it. We actually have a full immersion, one or two schools back there on the reservation that when you go in there, I think it's K through 12, where they immerse you in Blackfeet all day. And they teach up at the, at the college themselves too. And in fact, going back to what Stacey was saying earlier about those three elders that were talking in traditional Blackfeet, 
uh, the fellow that works at Blackfeet Community College, he's the one that's been translating. And it was really nice to see at his age, I'm guessing he's probably in his 20s or maybe late, early 30s, but he's fluent. It's like, oh, this is amazing because I'm not fluent at all. Stacey and I were, our parents uh, know the language, but we never taught it. So being able to see the younger generation with the language was uh, pretty heartening. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the barriers, it's the proximity to somebody who knows the language. Then there's the, 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 the non-academic of the language. So it's the right. just learning how to pronounce the words, but it's understanding the meaning and the context of using that word that brings the language to life. And so there's that, the, the structure of the words, I have a hard time getting my mouth wrapped around them and saying them properly. So, you know, I don't think it's insurmountable not to learn the language or to learn the language rather. It's the, it's making a commitment, being dedicated to it and finding resources, whether it's listening to recordings or finding someone that can sit and teach you the language. We, on a side note, so for our son who's in high school, there's a foreign language requirement. And we were, of course, disappointed because, you know, you have the traditional Spanish language, French, um, Chinese. Chinese as approved languages to learn. And we talked to his school and said, we want him to learn Blackfeet. It's not a foreign language in its true sense because it's a native language, but we want him to we want him to spend the time learning that and getting credit for it. And their response is, well, we don't have anybody that speaks that language, so we can't really test him on it. And we said, well, his grandma's fluent in it and she could do that. And there's always that, yeah, but that's his grandma and that wouldn't really count. And so, you know, there's that tussle of, okay, I understand the situation that it's not a predominant language and there's a finite number of people that speak it. But there's also that, why isn't this language being supported for our son to learn it? Mm-hmm. You don't have, you don't have uh, you know, millions of Blackfeet people advocating for it because there's not a million of Blackfeet people, but regardless, it's a language. Why can't it be approved to learn and to be tested on it? That's, that's one of the things I have an issue with as an educator is that too much for education. Again, this is a <laughs> opinion, but through a Western lens. We're, it's, it's nice that now we're starting to take uh, uh, um, measures to recognize and try to understand through diversity, equity, inclusion, how we can uh, uh, better support students from different cultures, languages, et cetera, et cetera. But this is one example where, where my mother was starting to write out words and putting together a full, you know, stuff for my, my son to learn. But because the school system couldn't evaluate it under their lens, it wasn't considered valid. But then if you look from our lens, oh my God, you've got an elder here. That's kind of the voice of authority. That's mm-hmm. what you have. And there isn't any credentials for it. But again, there's that tension like, well, you know, these elders, these people, they know how to speak it. How come they're not getting the, the, the credit for being able to teach this for this? Unless we went back home to 
the res and he learned it there but through a state approved school <laughs> yeah. again through a western lens yeah mm -hmm. uh, 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 call you off as saying well you speak your language because your uh, your grandmother taught you that's oh yeah she speaks that well our our son would speak black because my mom taught okay well that's not a valid course this because uh, and evaluated in the western lens yeah yeah, that's so tough. I mean, I think honestly that's what happens in schools a lot is they have very certain strict way of how they want things to work. And when people want to like sort of fall, go astray from that and do something on their own, they like don't really agree. That's that's really sad to see. Um, your uh, mother is fluent in Blackfeet though, right? Yeah, my mother, well, actually both my parents, my mother is, uh, uh, her first language is Blackfeet, mm -hmm. and my late first language is Finnish. And, oh my gosh, that, my, my father, born and raised in Minnesota, went into the army just like Stacy's dad, came out, and to his last day, he had a Finnish accent. Mm -hmm. He couldn't say the Enumclaw. Enumclaw, you know, as your listeners probably know, is that city that's south of Auburn. Enumclaw, he would say Enumclaw. He couldn't even see Enumclaw. So. <laughs> wow. And his, when his mother speaks, you know, she'll, uh, her English, she, you know, she speaks English, but she'll, you can hear some, some nuances in her words. Like she'll say white, which is where, you know, at least what we know back there when uh, people from the reservation are talking, they'll say like that white car. There's that kind of enunciation on the WH when they say yeah. white. It's inverted. So if, uh, if you're on a reservation, even to my, nowadays, if I was going to say white, well, there I go again. I, it sounds like the H is in front of the W. That's, uh, that's kind of a reservation accent. White, what? So it is, there's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how often um, do you guys get to go to the reservation and visit everyone there? The last time that we went was in 2005. We took our then one-year-old son back there. So my side of the family has family reunions, of course, with COVID. Those haven't happened. Uh, so we were going to go back, I think, in 2014 or 15, but um, my dad dug his heels in the ground and didn't want to go back for whatever reason. So we didn't go back there, but we're thinking about going back there either this summer or next. Mm -hmm. We go back in 2005, we went up to where my dad grew up in St. Mary's. Uh, again, I mentioned he's got 80 acres and it was a working ranch at one point with cattle. And so, you know, he and I were walking around. I'm nervous because it's quiet. The next, the, there isn't a neighbor nearby. Like you could just go reach out and say, can I borrow some sugar? It's quiet. There's a lot of brush. And I remember him and I walking, Roger, our son and my mom were by the truck that we drove up in. And my dad and I were walking around. I was having him tell me stories about, oh, what did you do? You know, when you're growing up in the creek and, you know, the barn and, the, and he we came upon this big, pile of bear scat bear poop hmm. i freaked out <laughs> i said dad what is that i had an idea he goes oh that's bear scat yeah it's probably about two weeks old not to worry and of course i then was like we got to get back to the car let's go and he's like this is nothing i remember my dad when he was 
one night he heard some rustling up in the barn and he went outside to take a look because the horses were acting up and everything seemed to be fine. He, I don't know if he shone the light or heard a rustle and there was a big, I don't know if it was a grizzly bear or a brown bear, not oh. like, I don't know, 20 feet away from my grandpa. That's just how they lived. You know, they were surrounded by things that they just needed to be familiar with. So wow. it's just a different way of being back there to you just, you don't take anything for granted. You got to be on high alert that seeing that pile of bear scat Thank God I was with my dad to kind of read the land and tell me what was going on versus me freaking out and probably scaring everybody around me. We used to, we used to go back. Uh, well, part of me stays back when I was younger. Uh, I'm going to throw in this little uh, native dark humor. What's the, uh, what's the native family reunion? Called funeral. <laughs> and that's what we'd mostly go back for. The, uh, a funeral, we'd see everybody because... Uh, mm you know, we're, we're living business-wise and priorities, you know, making a living and having a roof on our head. Go back for funerals all the time. Back there. But as a kid, we used to go back there all the time. My mom, after mom and dad divorced, uh, she would usually pack everything up, put it in the storage. We spend the summer back there. And so compare and contrast, you know, Stacy's family's up there uh, and St. Mary's uh, ranch. A lot of bears up there. And my mom's community was on a flat land. It's not a lot of bears around there. So consequently, the safety thing wasn't really much of an issue. And so one of the things, to, one of my earliest memories is with all my cousins, uh, running around all night, playing, exploring, uh, going down this place called The Bottom, which is where the river was. There's a lot of trees down there. You know, uh, Star School itself was on top of a hill, not a hill, but rather than flatlands. So it was flat for wherever you go, a lot of rolling hills. And the bottom was where Sparkle used to be before this big flood happened. And so back in the bottom is a lot of trees, a lot of lush uh, grass. So we'd be playing down there. And sometimes we would, we'd be down there until midnight, two o'clock in the morning. And nobody thought about sending out people to look for us because it's safe. You're with your family. Wherever you go, you're with your family. And just to give you a little bit more of an uh, insight of what it was like to be back there. So... Back when we first started this talk, we talked about Star School being a place. There's no services. So some houses would, would what we call sell. Oh, uh, that house over there, all oh, those heavy runners over there, they sell. Heavy runners is the last name. Oh, you you want to get some pop or some candy? So these houses would, you know, they go into town, they'd buy candy and pop, potato chips, little treats. They have a little box right by the front door. So if you want, if you're hungry or thirsty or whatever, you have a little bit of money, you just knock on the door and Say, hey, what you guys have? And they go, oh, we got some pop. Come on in. So you go on in there. You have a little Reese's peanut butter cups, maybe some Coca-Cola, maybe some chips. You spend a couple cents and get some uh, stuff there. And so that is very informal uh, way of living uh, in that little community. You know, nowadays you think about it. When you go to visit somebody, you make plans. Oh, I, I put in a calendar date and everything. Well, you know, granted back then it was the 70s too. But in this little community, if you want to go visit, you just go up to somebody's door. Hey, how you doing? Hey, come on in. You know, just an informal visitation. That's the way it used to be. It was very safe. So, you know, you're up there in St. Mary's, you know, this amazing place right next to the mountains. You're doing cattle. You have to worry about bears and everything. But down there where my mom was at, flat, no bears, kids running around all over the place. A little different, but still, you're still in the reservation. Everybody everybody knows each other. It's uh, it was rather nice. It was those fun summers. I'm sure. 
Yeah, so we, we answered your question, but then we decided to <laughs> go a little bit deeper than probably you're looking for. But storytell. <laughs> yeah, we did go a couple, I can't remember what year it was, but we did go back. This was um, maybe in the late 90s. Yeah, 97, 98. We went back there for North American Indian Days, which is uh, during the summertime, there's a huge powwow that takes place out in the arbor setting that's dedicated for that spot. A lot of people travel from all parts of the country to go and it's a, it's a powwow. There's competition of dance and drumming. And so we went back there and that was our first powwow. We went, my first powwow I went to that was on the reservation, not in an urban environment. And it was pretty eye-opening just in terms of, and I was uh, younger then, so I didn't, I don't think I really appreciated it as much as I would now where you're like, wow, there's a, there's guys here that are a lot of, they're older and they're doing the, the fancy dancing, which takes a lot of endurance and leg strength. And then there's the traditionals and then there's the dancers like, this is really cool. This is this, they're on their own earth. They're on a land that they take care of and they're dancing and it's meaningful to them versus being, you know, in the middle of the city where you're like, eh, this is just some arbor, uh, some auditorium I'm dancing on. What's interesting though is, you know, going back to the, what our theme today was about off, off reservation and on reservation. If you go to a reservation here in the city, like uh, the big one in University of Washington, Usually at Edmondson Pavilion happens, usually early spring. It's pretty big. Starts on Friday afternoon, goes normal office hours till like midnight or so. Goes till Saturday night or Sunday night, rather. So three days of power up. That's great. A lot of fun. You can meet a lot of uh, natives from all around the country. Uh, it's usually a family reunion because you've seen people from other uh, reservations. They met on the powwow trails, they say. Uh, and it's great. It's a lot of fun to see a lot of different cultures. I remember one year the Aztecs came up from Mexico. Wow. You guys have an amazing dance. Yeah. I can tell why they were pretty much the rules of the ruse because that was pretty fierce dancing. It was like, wow, look at this. So you know, you see you see that it's 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 put into a schedule in a certain area. But like when Stacey was saying about North American Indian days, uh, back then it was one of the biggest powwows in the lower 48. So all these natives from all over, all over the United States and also Canada too, and also our own people. And this powwow doesn't start on a Friday afternoon. These things start like on Tuesday or Wednesday with opening ceremonies and, and giveaways, which is something we can talk about at a later, later point. But this is like full immersion. You're with your own family, you're with relations, extended tribal members, natives from all around the country that come into this thing. And it's powwow 24 hours a day. Yeah that and it and it doesn't just go till midnight it goes till all hours of the morning so to be around that is very an eye-opening experience to be around your people and just getting totally immersed in that in that in that high context culture so maybe we can talk about it at some point if you want to have us back we can talk more about our culture i don't want to take too much of your time so i'll be you <laughs> No, no worries. Absolutely. I'd love to have you guys back and talk about that. And actually, um, also, I wanted to mention this earlier, but there's when you guys were talking about the languages, um, I think there's a website called um, nativelanguages.org. And they have, I think, compilations of like a bunch of different native languages and how they're pronounced and uh, the spelling, the traditional typography. 
So mm-hmm. that's something you can check out. I think probably has black feet. I'm um, pretty sure I've seen it before. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you and, you know, there, I think your stories are honestly so interesting to hear. So um, honestly, if you just tell me stories the whole time, like that would be great too. <laughs> you don't have to like answer the question. Um, do you think you would like to add something else that, you know, we didn't really talk about before? Uh, Stace, uh, I have one thing to add, but I'll let uh, Stace has anything, any final words? I just want to thank you, Anushka, for having us on your podcast and for your authentic and genuine interest in learning more about native, natives in uh, the United States. I, I had the privilege of listening to you present your website and your interest to the indigenous employees at Microsoft, and you were very well received. And I, you're, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this term, this ally term, you know, I think people just are, you're either genuinely interested, it doesn't have to have a brand on it, but I think that you're, you're a great advocate for Native issues and bringing awareness, and so I really want to thank you for that, and I'm grateful that I've gotten to meet you and uh, work with you and talk with you, so thank you. Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. Thank you. I'll just add, you know, Stace did a great, great, great job. Uh, I just wanted to say that um, I, I like the commonality that we're all second generation. You know, we're exploring the tensions between the two different cultures, the culture right here, plus our culture that we grew up with. And so thank you for being an advocate for that. Because at the end of the day, you know, all of us are kind of navigating those same waters, whether at your age or, or our age, we're navigating the balance between what we have, what we grew up with, and what we're exposed to here, and our ability to adapt. So thank you for what you do, and I'm looking forward to the next one. And if you or any of your listeners have any questions, you know, please forward them on. I'm more than willing to uh, share what we know, what we have. Definitely, we'll do that. Yeah, thank you both so much. And um, how do you say thank you in Blackfeet? I wish I knew. <laughs> I'll, to, I'll ask my mom, and I'll get back with you on that one, okay? <laughs> okay, sounds good. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, thank you. You take care and be safe. Bye. Bye.